This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. I'm Shannon Burning, Books Editor for Knowledge of Wharton, and I'm happy to be here today to speak to Paul Schumacher about his new book with Stephen Krupp, Winning the Long Game, How Strategic Leaders Shape the Future. Paul, thank you for being here today. My pleasure, Shannon. Thanks. I'm so curious. What challenge did you see for leaders that led you to write Winning the Long Game? Well, we deal with a lot of leaders, and they tell us, especially managers who want to be leaders, that they often given feedback during a performance review, that they're doing very well operationally, and their execution skills are great. And then at the end, they sort of told they should be a bit more strategic, because they might have missed a new market development or a competitor entering. And they then wonder, how do I do this? And when they ask their bosses, what do you mean? Can you be more specific? They don't say much more than, you know, do like Wayne Gretz ski, skate to where the puck will be, but that's often not enough. That's right. And in the book, you provide a questionnaire for, for the readers to assess their own strategic leadership. Yes. And I think that probably gets to the heart of um, exactly what you're talking about, makes it more concrete. Can you tell us about those questions and what, you, what you're helping uh, the reader to assess? Yeah, we feel that it has to be more concrete than giving very general propositions, such as having a vision or having commitment, etc. So we... Um, in a sense, deconstructed strategic leadership into six elements. Um, the, these would be things like how to anticipate uh, changes in the external environment or internally in the organization better. It could be the ability to challenge yourself and other people's views, especially in a changing world. And our focus is a bit on how to be a strategic leader when things are changing in the external environment. So these elements that I mentioned are especially important for that. For example, the ability to interpret things that are happening not through old lenses, but new lenses. And then in the world of uncertainty, the ability to make tough decisions that takes courage. You can't wait for all the information. So that's a definite leadership skill, the ability to align people around a vision. But how do you do alignment? How do you bridge differences? How do you deal with um, you know, conflict? And learning is the last. So we have six elements. And each of these elements we in this particular survey, we have about 10 items that very behaviorally ask, how often do you engage in the following kind of behaviors? And that's what that survey does. So at the end, the the participant has a sort of a profile. They can draw a little hexagon as to how well they score on these various dimensions and then focus more on the gaps. And then we offer specific advice on how to bridge the gap, the biggest gaps in particular. One of the things that's so interesting is that in each of these um, chapters, you're really looking through the lens of discipline as a, as a priority. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, we thought we thought about what are these skills? Are these uh, abilities? Are these competencies? Are these orientations? Are they skills? And it's a bit of all of that. So we figured the term discipline, which is a bit of an odd word for, in, in some in some quarters maybe, but it captures uh, three key elements, namely that it is based on knowledge. There's a knowledge base underlying it. So if I say the the discipline of playing bridge or do a sport or playing the piano, that people associate a knowledge base. That is one. The other is literally the discipline of being disciplined. That is practice, uh, stick with a program. Don't be so easily, you know, distracted. Uh, So that's important. Um, And the third element is that you 
like any discipline, you don't master it by reading a book. <laughs> you master it by having a framework and then practicing, 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 just like a musical instrument. So we felt that discipline has all of those connotations, but it also left uh, room for the notion that there is an artistic element to it, the art of a discipline, right, in the martial arts or something like that. And I don't think we have, the, it's not a scientific um, model necessarily. It, it, it allows for, um, you know, customization and um, sort of it's contingent on culture and situations. So that's all wrapped into the idea of a discipline that you know how to deal with the, this enormous variety of situations that leaders encounter. And can you give us a couple examples of leaders who've been very successful as strategic leaders? Yeah, well, we mentioned many. So each chapter, we start with a leader that everybody recognizes. So the first chapter on anticipation, we profile Elon Musk, who most people know, of course, as having uh, been with SpaceX, a remarkable inventor, and uh, PayPal. He became very rich, and now he's pioneering the electric car with a Tesla. And he does approach it as a discipline. Um, when he was asked once on a television program, how can you be so creative? He says, well, most people who want to be creative don't even try. He says, and I want my engineers to be very creative. We don't people who have average ideas. And he says, I work on this very hard till my brain hurts. So there's an element of sort of being... Uh, t you know, recognizing it as something you had to work on, just like an, an author would or an athlete would. But then other elements like challenge, we profile actually Pope Francis, who took over a somewhat dysfunctional organization, some would say, with a lot of tough issues. And he may, and he's really, you know, it's a tightrope. How much does he really challenge? There's dogmas that he can't, canons of the church that he has to, and he's very conservative in some ways, and he's very liberal and very remarkable in other ways. So for each of these topics, we kind of profile leaders who we think were very impressive. In business, we uh, describe um, Mr. Holiday, who was the CEO of DuPont, and early on in 2007, he picked up weak signals that we're going to hit a wall with the economy. But there were truly weak signals, like the reservation on Hotel DuPont were down. He picked that up on, at a reception. I was in Japan, and a, a Japanese customer wanted more cash. You know, he, he was short of cash, so he wanted to get postponements of payments, uh, etc. And then the auto companies, which are big for DuPont, wouldn't share their production plans. And he gets his information disjointedly, and he puts, like Sherlock Holmes kind of puts together the picture and, and, and sees what's happening before others do, and survived as a consequence the deep uh, depression or the recession better than, than others. The other side of things would be if you're not able to, you know, practice this this yes. discipline of strategic leadership. Can you give us some examples of those who uh, were not able to implement yeah. those ideas? That's a long and, list. And <laughs> <laughs> I think you can look at any of the failed companies, right? That's if it's Kodak or there's so many. Um, uh, Nokia would be an example. But the ones we profile uh, are companies like Lego, you know, Lego, the D Danish company that has all the lovely, the lovely bricks, plastic bricks. They really were almost bankrupt after 30 or 40 years of great success. And it was really their inability to anticipate changes in their market, in particular, uh, the video revolution, the uh, sort of the IT revolution that games were becoming electronic. And they were almost, and in Billund, in, in Jutland, Denmark, where they employed almost two-thirds of the town, you can imagine what, how devastating this was because the company almost went under. And then they had the opportunity to, to cut a deal with Lucasfilm for, uh, you know, sort of a really very successful, uh, the, the force, you know, they embraced the force and uh, 
and that that saved them. But there was one one leader who who who, who killed the deal. He said, "We're not going to work with outsiders. We've always done it ourselves." Uh, was very distrustful of the outside world, and he said, "Over my dead body." And it was until a senior leader recognized that they were falling behind the times, that the world was changing outside of Denmark, and they needed to really team up with partners who could do this much better. As a final question, Paul, can you tell us uh, what you hope readers will take away from the book? Yeah, for one, we hope that readers um, who aspire towards strategic leadership start to realize that you need to integrate strategy and leadership in a world of uncertainty much more than is typical. The typical model is, you know, a strategy gets formulated, leaders are involved in that process, but then others often execute. And then, of course, in a world of uncertainty, no business plan uh, survives contact with reality. So you need people who are very good in picking that up quickly and be able on the fly to make adjustments. So the tighter integration, that's one. They will have a conceptual model for what is really at the core of doing this sort of rare skill very well. And they have some instruments, but I hope that they will just also learn by example, by just you know, reading the stories of leaders who are really quite remarkable. Uh, as, and we, it's fairly international, so it's not just American leaders. We profile them across the world. Um, and, and then also they may want to mentor other people. So leaders who are already strategic can use the book as a guide to tell people who, who they feel should become more strategic how to do that. Thank you, Paul. It was great to speak with you. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.